Hello and welcome to At Any Rate podcast. This is Meera Chandan from the FX Strategy team. Uh, and today uh, I'm joined by Alan Monks, who's our UK economist uh, at JP Morgan, uh, Francis Diamond uh, from our uh, rates strategy team. He's a specialist in uh, UK and inflation markets. Uh, and also by Patrick Clark, uh, who covers sterling uh, in FX um, as well. Um, the topic today, as you might have guessed from uh, the list of participants on this call, uh, is the UK um, and also UK rate and FX markets. Uh, now, clearly, a lot has happened in the past week, week and a half. Uh, we've had a massive fiscal plan from Trust, and uh, this has led to a whole slew of changes in our macroeconomic forecasts and central bank forecasts as well for the country. So let's um, let's start on the economic front uh, with Alan and, and go through some of these changes. Uh, Alan, you published a note uh, titled A Week is a Long Time in Economics uh, earlier this week, uh, very aptly titled. And a lot has happened. Can you please um, outline for us where we stand in terms of uh, the size of this fiscal announcement, uh, what the significance is, uh, you know, of the size in that historical context, and what more are we looking for in the coming days? Yeah, okay. So certainly lots going on. And since uh, Liz Truss became Prime Minister, we've or we will get two waves of, of fiscal announcements. So the first wave came last week, and that was all related to this uh, energy price uh, cap to protect consumers from what would have been a an increase of 80% or more in, in their bills. And the cost of that is really going to depend on what gas prices do over the duration of the cap, which is for two years. So it's very difficult to say with any accuracy how much it costs. But there's also a cap for businesses as well. And if you put the two together, um, a lot of estimates start around 100 billion and there's some that stretch all the way to, to 200 billion. So if, if you take the midpoint of that, then we're probably looking at something close to 6% of, of GDP or so. And then, of course, next week, we'll get the second wave of fiscal announcements, which is less about cost of living uh, uh, support and more about the general um, uh, you know, tax, uh, lower tax agenda that Trust had been talking about during her uh, leadership campaign. So we're looking at measures which are going to cancel planned increases in uh, corporation tax and, and, and the rise in national insurance tax that we had already, uh, probably costing less compared to uh, last week's announcement, maybe 1%, 1.5% of GDP, but having a more permanent impact on, on the borrowing figures, um, given that there's no you know, uh, automatic expiry date for those tax, uh, tax reversals. Thanks. And um, can you put this um, size in a bit of a historical context? Is this is this a pretty large um, stimulus relative to the longer run history that we've seen in the UK? And the second follow up to that is, you know, does this in any way alter the fiscal sustainability um, in the UK? Yeah, I mean, the size is absolutely huge, particularly with the, the first set of announcements, the energy price freeze. So, you know, if we are talking about um, you know, 150 billion, for example, then that's that's comparable to some of the interventions that we had during uh, the pandemic. So that the furlough scheme uh, for employees, for example, I think was costing around 60 billion or so, and then a little bit more once you added in the uh, the self-employment scheme. But this, you know, the the cost of the cap in the gas uh, uh, price uh, for 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 consumers will go potentially even even larger uh, than that 
uh, furlough scheme that we had. So we really are talking about very, uh, you know, uh, unprecedented, almost unprecedented levels of, uh, you know, stimulus here. Um, and then in terms of sustainability, I, I think, you know, we don't have an update from the OBR, the independent fiscal forecaster in the UK to basically say how all this is going to, to fit together. I think it's, uh, it's not not expected that we'll get an update from them until uh, much later in the year. Um, but my my best attempt to put all of this together to say you know what it does from a sustainability point of view is 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 to say deficit is going to be very high, you know, close to six percent of GDP maybe for the next year or so. Um, but a lot of the stimulus is, is time limited. You know, the, the freeze on energy bills is there for a, a fixed period of, of two years, assuming it doesn't get extended. And then the deficit will naturally decline uh, thereafter. Um, so I think, you know, even with the tax cuts that are being sort of, uh, you know, indicated here, you could perhaps just about argue that even with this easing over a sort of medium term horizon, you can still show the you know the current budget getting back into the into balance and then the debt to uh, GDP ratio falling uh, three years out, albeit from a, a level that's been bumped uh, significantly higher in the near term. So perhaps you could just about argue that this is you know sustainable from a standard uh, uh, way of of looking at this. I think the problem you've got is that it doesn't really leave much uh, scope for downside surprises on growth so it is still possible that we have a you know a, a recession in in the middle of, of next year um which would you know ordinarily you know the government would probably want to ease more in that environment cut vat there's less less room to be able to do that even if that risk doesn't occur i think the other issue you've got is that the the public finance projections are based on what i would say appears to be a relatively optimistic view on longer term trend growth in the uk of just under under 2% um obviously the chancellor has indicated an objective of of trying to deliver 2.5% but the recent history hasn't been good there even with tax cuts that we've had in the past so i think that the risk here is that you know we don't see uh, strong enough growth numbers o- over the forecast horizon, and what that does through time is to further sort of reduce the scope for further uh, fiscal easing, and I, I suspect might create you know, through time some pressure to start tightening fiscal policy, perhaps from the year twenty twenty four onwards. Okay, and then finally, how have your baseline economic forecasts changed? I guess for for growth inflation and and then also for the BOE, I, you know, they, I, presumably they have to hike more just given the size of the stimulus. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been quite a few changes we've made recently. I think just in the very very near term, looking at the third quarter, we've had some weak uh, data this week, and we we put in a, a contraction in GDP for, for Q3, um, which does meet. You know, technical definition of a recession but i think that you know with the labor market so strong it doesn't really feel like a recession at the moment and the big concern was that you know if we'd have had this big cost of living squeeze additional squeeze coming in you know in october then we would have had a more significant recession over the next six months spreading into next year and i think what's really happened with this fiscal easing that's been announced last week is that it's it's um you know, uh, reduce the risk that we see a recession next year, or at least moderated the the size of of uh, you know potential contraction in, in GDP. 
Um, so we, we made those changes. I, I revised up growth, the growth forecast for next year after the fiscal easing that we had last week. And I think although this is something that does lower inflation uh, in the near term, it is something that is probably going to mean, uh, you know, if you have a slightly stronger growth outlook for next year, it means the labor market is going to stay tighter and for longer. And that's to me suggests that the medium term inflation picture is probably, if anything, going to be higher than we thought before because the economy is fundamentally more resilient. So the way I'd read this is that ultimately it's going to result in the Bank of England having to tighten monetary policy more than it would have done otherwise. So I, following the fiscal announcement last week, I, I put an extra 50 basis points of tightening there. I now have um, terminal rates at 4% uh, by the early part of, of next year. Okay, thanks, Sam. Thanks, Alan. Uh, so let's uh, let's move to rates markets now. Uh, Francis, uh, clearly these are very large fiscal deficits. Um, how do you think gilt markets uh, will uh, will respond to this additional supply? And how has uh, these recent developments changed your uh, thinking on UK rate markets? Sure, I mean, certainly we're talking potentially big numbers. Um, I think there are some difficulties in understanding exactly what that will do in terms of absolute issuance, but clearly the government has stated uh, pretty clearly up front that most of the initial cost of these packages will be will be borne through issuance, which basically means in the UK's case, gilts given, given T-bill issuance is relatively low. So I think there are two questions in terms of, first of all, the short term and around what the sort of the profile for issuance over the next uh, remainder of this fiscal year will look like. Um, and that's, that's clearly where market focus is at the moment. I, I think, secondly, the longer-term implications Alan's talking of in terms of long-term trajectories around fiscal dynamics, I, I think that's probably just too far ahead for the gilt market to start to price in significantly at the moment. And then it's definitely worth noting when we think about sort of the shape of the, the UK yield curve, the drivers of the curve, it is still very much inverted in forward space. We're still seeing sort of the twos, tens equivalent in forward space being driven predominantly by central bank and, and monetary policy expectations. So we're not getting a sense here that despite this uncertainty, there is significant sort of uh, decoupling or risk premium being, being put into the, the UK curve yet. So I think the uncertainty means there is obviously increased chance of risk premium. Um, I think there is a lot of difficulty for, for the market to sort of think about the next few months in terms of what the size of gilt issuance will actually look like. Uh, numbers and estimates seem pretty wide and pretty varied. Uh, we've tentatively put in maybe 60 to 70 billion increase for this fiscal year. But I think visibility on that is very low, um, mainly, as Alan mentioned, due to the fact there is some conditionality here on the deficit as a function of, of gas prices. And I think as well, it's also probably worth bearing in mind what happened during the pandemic in terms of when we saw large uh, budget deficits um, and increased issuance. The DMO at that point in time didn't make full fiscal year uh, projections. It, it sort of put in estimates for issuance for a, a relatively short space of time over a, a period of a few months and revise those as the, the furlough scheme sort of progressed. I think you'll see something similar here. So we think we may well get an issuance next week, uh, announcement next week on issuance, but whether that's full fiscal year, whether that's for a shorter period, I think that's less clear. And I think there's definitely uncertainty in markets around what that means. Um, but I think for now, uh, we still feel that probably whilst that, that announcement can give some short-term noise, it's still monetary policy that's really driving the level of rates and the level of curve with medium-term risk premium likely appearing uh, as we sort of evolve over the next couple of months 
given the uncertainty around exactly what size of guilt issuance we'll see. Okay, and what are your highest conviction views right now um, in either rates uh, space on, on the guilt side or on inflation markets? Well, we're certainly playing for the sense that we need to see a little bit more risk premium in, in, in the intermediate part of the UK curve. Um, that's an idea that whilst guilt yields in the 10-year sector are still driven by monetary policy, we may well see some cross-market underperformance. Uh, we've already seen that against dollars. We think that can persist. Um, so we're short uh, the intermediate part of the UK curve against dollars, so basically paying five-year, five-year sterling against five-year, five-year dollar rates. We also, in inflation space, I think definitely see a prospect here for shorter end break-evens to, to increase. There's been a lot of volatility and a lot of noise uh, given the announcements around the energy caps. But given uh, Alan's forecasts on RPI, given the sense that inflation from fiscal measures can be more persistent going forward, and given valuations, we do think areas such as one-year one year RPI or possibly going out to sort of five-year as a, as a general sort of front-end bucket still do look quite attractive uh, at these levels and probably offer some good uh, ways of positioning for a sense that in the UK inflation gets a bit more embedded for longer with a bit more persistence. So the main trades are like mirror, sort of that underweight sort of belly of the curve against dollars as a risk premium trade and long front end UK inflation. Okay. And of course we have the BOE next week. Um, is how is the market, uh, rates market price for that and uh, for the BOE beyond as well? It's close to 50-50 in terms of what we're pricing for 75 basis point hike versus 50 basis point hike. I think the market is is focused on what we've seen internationally with a 75 basis point delivery from the ECB and potentially a Fed that in our calls giving 75, but dollar market is priced close to 100. So I think there is clearly a sense that there is a bit of uncertainty around what uh, the front end of the curve thinks in next week's meeting. I think generally my view is when you're pricing sort of close to 50-50 on a, on a binary uh, central bank delivery, there's not a huge amount of value or a huge amount of risk premium in fading that. And I think generally our, our sense here is at the moment that probably risk appetite to take strong views on the very front end of the UK curve is limited. And we're generally keeping with the view we've had for some time now that there's a lot of risk premium in uh, term, term terminal rates are priced sort of close to four and a half percent in the UK, but we don't see any value in fading that in this backdrop of uh, persistence around inflation and more more stickiness in terms of the Bank of England reaction function. Okay, thanks, Sam. Thanks, Francis. Let's now return to currencies, Patrick. Uh, you and I have been fielding a lot of uh, questions on sterling, uh, being in the FX uh, strategy team here. Um, and uh, we are getting lots of questions around sterling weakness. Uh, obviously, uh, cable has broken through a new 40-year low. It's getting uh, a lot of attention in the press. Um, before we go ahead with the outlook for sterling, um, can you just put this weakness into context for us? Is sterling at stress levels right now? Sure. Thanks, Mira. Um, you're right. Sterling and specifically cable, you know, have reached some historic lows in recent days. Uh, real effective exchange rates for sterling are also kind of near the bottoms of historical ranges. Uh, whether it's stressed, I think, is a different question, and I don't think that's obviously the case right now. Uh, for example, cable's fallen about 15% year to date, um, but euro, do euro dollar has also fallen about 12%. Uh, which means that euro sterling is generally still, you know, within something of a range. So, I mean, to be sure, the UK definitely has a questionable macro outlook, uh, you know, from our space. But um, there's also broad dollar strength to consider. Uh, and at the end of the day, sterling isn't even the biggest underperformer in G10 this year. Um, that is still the yen. 
Okay, so that's um, that's some helpful context to start with. Now, clearly, we've been uh, bearish on sterling all year, um, and that's been motivated by uh, low yields on a real basis. It's been motivated by stagflationary concerns. Now, Alan has laid out that the trust plan does reduce the size, uh, the risk of an outsized recession. Uh, usually, that's good for the currency. Um, is that how uh, we are seeing this play out for sterling as well? Uh, sure, thanks. Um, bigger picture, yes. Um, to your point, we're still bearish. Um, some of the key kind of underlying factors within that view are not changed, uh, specifically the stagflation and the real yields that uh, that you just touched on. And it is encouraging that you know the fiscal plan will help to alleviate some of those recession risks. Um, but at the same time, you know, um, if the fiscal deficit actually expands eight percent of GDP then you're looking at a pretty large twin deficit for the UK um, and definitely on the more extreme side of things, you know, relative to the rest of G10. Um, you know, debt levels should decline over time. Um, so from our space in FX, we we're focused right now on kind of the, you know, external side of the equation. Um, we've done some cross-sectional analysis of um, G10 external deficits against FX yields. And uh, that suggests um, that, you know, yields for the UK could, continue to need to rise if the twin deficit actually widens, um, you know, up to that 8% level from the fiscal side. Um, and we've demonstrated, you know, historically that cable is pretty well correlated to current account trends. Um, so this is a new and relatively important channel that, you know, could continue to impact sterling going forward, depending on how the twin, def the twin deficits actually continue to evolve. Uh, but the point is, you know, is that this keeps us bearish on sterling, even though recession risks um, have fallen somewhat at the same time. Yeah, that's not um, that's not a great story, obviously. So it sounds like uh, we're keeping our bearish view on sterling intact. Um, are there any specific targets uh, for cable that you're looking uh, for in the very near term? Yep, uh, we've lowered our trough of our cable our sterling dollar forecast to one ten. That being said, we do have a bit more conviction on the cable call than Euro Sterling, which, you know, for now we still kind of expect to remain range bound. Um, in terms of what we're watching going forward, uh, we'll be keeping a close eye on the BOE developments, particularly given the, given the relationship between yields and external deficits that I just described. Um, and we'll also be closely watching kind of real-time proxies for capital flows into and out of the UK uh, on top of the more traditional BOP metrics that we're also monitoring quite closely. Okay, um, thanks, Patrick. Um, we will stop there uh, on this discussion. Uh, just to wrap up on the economic side, uh, the call now is for the BOE to hike rates by 50 basis points next week. We think that uh, the BOE will eventually take, uh, uh, will continue to hike rates and raise rates to 4% terminal rates. For uh, interest rate markets, we see risks of further increased term premium in rates and inflation uh, due to the greater uncertainty. And as far as currencies go, we're staying underweight sterling despite reduced risks on, uh, of, uh, of recession. But increasingly, our focus is turning to the twin deficit story. And the expectation is for cable to break 110 um, in the near term. Uh, for any additional uh, questions or information, please have a look at our research or reach out to us directly. Uh, this communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2022 JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. 
This episode was recorded on September 16, 2022.